following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. This morning I'll be speaking from John chapter 6, so if you want to get your Bibles open to John chapter 6, we'll get started here. You know, I think a lot of people often assume that the purpose of religion is to have, have this person called God be their personal helper, someone who will uh, give them happiness, someone who will always answer their prayers with yes. And so there's great disappointment when they don't get what they want from God. And there was this book that came out a few years ago called, uh, called Soul Searching by Christian Smith. And he discussed this idea of moralistic therapeutic deism. And that, that idea has always stuck with me. And he had uh, five points to this kind of worldview on spirituality. He said, one, that there is a God that exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth, but from a distance, from far away. Secondly, that God wants people to be good and nice and fair, just like the Bible says, and just like other religions say. Thirdly, that the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. And fourth, that God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem in your life. And then lastly, that of course all good people go to heaven regardless of what you may believe. And you know, he's arguing that this is the religious perspective of most people in society today. And I'd have to say it's certainly the, the majority view of the people that I discuss spirituality with that are outside of the church. But this kind of belief leaves no room for Jesus, and it's the kind of spirituality that doesn't even need a Savior at all. Because really, it's up to you. You're really in the process of working it out yourself, and you only call on God when you need something from Him. And so Jesus has no place, no purpose, or no or any value within your life. And then there's another book I've been reading recently because someone close to me really wanted me to read this called True Kinship of Faith by Dalai Lama. And in this book, he's really trying to, trying to assess that all religions are basically the same. But in the beginning of the book, he discusses his Buddhist beliefs. And in Buddhism, karma plays a central role. And karma is that uh, our faith is decided on, on whether the good outweighs the bad in our life. And so Buddha said this. He said, The path to salvation lies in the individual taming his or her mind and perfecting the qualities inherent in the heart. And we have it in our hands to bring about our own happiness and to overcome our own suffering. Now, most people... To most people today, I think that sounds very enlightened, you know, to look deep within your, your own heart, to find the good that's already in your own heart. And I would say that our minds do play a big role in how we view life and how we view happiness in this life. However, the idea of karma goes much deeper because what Buddha would argue is that karma directly relates to your salvation in this life, but also salvation in the next. And so karma is defined by the sum of a person's actions in this and in previous existence as deciding the fate for your future existence. So according to that tradition, we are constantly being reincarnated. And, and the karma from each life builds on the next. 
But the problem with that is you don't know how good or bad you were in the last life, so now you don't know how good or bad you, you can be in this life in order to dictate what's going to happen in the next life. And it all gets very confusing. But in Buddhism, basically it says that we need to rid ourselves of the distractions of this world and center our minds on the goodness that already exists within our hearts. And such, this is such a popular view today, to look deep within yourself. So even the person who does evil must have some good that he just needs to find deep within his heart. And so Buddha wrote, taming the mind and perfecting the qualities inherent in the heart. And this is very popular. It might be even the dominant philosophy of today. One must look inwardly deep within the heart. But the problem with this, according to Scripture, is that the human heart is corrupted by sin. And the world has been corrupted by sin, and there's only one cure for that corruption, and that is Jesus Christ. And Jeremiah 17, verse 9, says this. He says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So with karma, you get what you deserve according to the accumulation of good or bad in your life. But in Christianity, Jesus got what you deserved. Jesus carried all of your sin and all that corruption to the cross. And so grace is the very opposite of karma. Sin in the world has corrupted the heart of all human beings. And we're not going to be able to fix that on our own. That's why Scripture tells us in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of this sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so what becomes very, very clear is that we cannot find salvation within ourselves. But as human beings, we thirst for something more, don't we? We thirst for something that will fill the gap, that will give us purpose and meaning, something which will bring us deep and meaningful peace and fulfillment in this life. Well, let's look at John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus, at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus uh, he feeds the 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fish. He performs that great miracle. And then later that night, he walks on water. You know, it's just another day for Jesus. And this brings us then to the focus of the passage, verse 35 of chapter 6, where Jesus said to them in verse 35, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. After Jesus feeds the 5,000 and walks on water, John writes that the next day the crowd realized that Jesus was no longer there and they, they wanted to go search for him. And so they searched for him and at this point Jesus was a very popular guy. People knew that he was the miracle worker, that he was doing all these really cool things and they wanted to find him. But when they find Jesus finally, Jesus says to them that he already knew the real reason why they were looking for him. Look at verse 25. He says, he says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the sign I performed, the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed 
his seal of, of approval. And then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And he says, Jesus answered, the work of God is to believe, is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And I love that, that phrase there, the work of God. They were looking for mirac- the miraculous free food when they were searching for Jesus. And I was recalling Matthew 16 where Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and the Sadducees because Jesus knew that they wanted to test him. And he says this. He says that it's a wicked and adulterous generation that looks for a miraculous sign. Meaning it's wicked and wrong to believe in God only when he gives you a miracle. After his resurrection, Jesus let Thomas touch him to see that he was physically there, that he had physically resurrected from the grave. But after, Jesus, after Thomas touches Jesus, Jesus says to Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. You see, the greater faith is to believe even when you don't get that miracle. It's the kind of faith that is always seeking after miracles. That's the kind of faith that Christian Smith was talking about there in that moralistic, therapeutic deism. That you only go to God when you want something from God. Otherwise, you never really pay attention to Him. And you see, these people were only looking to Jesus because they wanted to see another miracle of free food. And so Jesus says, You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs. In other words, he's saying, not because you saw miraculous signs that showed the way to God, but you're looking for me because you saw the miraculous sign of free food. And so he says to them, do not look for the food that spoils. Now, what is the food that spoils? Well, obviously, we all have to have food that spoils. We need to eat it before it spoils. We we all need that for physical nourishment. But the food that spoils is also a metaphor for something much bigger. It's for the things of this world, of this earth that do not last. And in everything, in the reality, everything that people chase after in this world does not last. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You know, this week I was thinking about the war in Ukraine and and how sad and meaningless it seems to be. And regardless of what you might think about the various political angles to it, the fact of the matter is that Putin attacked the Ukraine because he wanted a piece of land called the Ukraine. And the reality is, wars that are fought on this earth are much like the game of risk. It's incredible to me. If you've ever played the game of Risk, it, the game board is a map of the world, and everyone gets a certain number of countries in the world, and the whole objective of the game is to take over one another's countries so that the person who wins conquers the entire world. And how many people, how many millions of people have been killed in wars throughout the centuries for land and treasure, for things that do not last? Many millions have been killed in order to gain more and more treasures here on earth. But all those kings and all those rulers who conquered lands and accumulated treasures here on earth, where are they all now? They all died and none of them took it with them. Listen to other scriptures that tell us 
Colossians 3, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. 1 John 2, do not love the world or anything in the world. Or Matthew 16, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? You see, Jesus, Jesus says, do not chase after the things that spoil. His primary concern is satisfying your spiritual needs, not your physical appetites. Well, let's keep reading in John chapter 6, beginning with verse 30. It says, So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I love that phrase in verse 33, for the bread of God, the bread of God is a bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of God, the Messiah, which the Jewish people were longing for, is the bread of God. You know, in the original manna story of the Old Testament, it's kind of a, the people's response is kind of mixed to the fact that God was giving them bread from heaven. And God, through Moses, provided for the release of the Israelites out of Egypt. And then he takes them through the Red Sea on dry ground. But soon after crossing the Red Sea, the people start to grumble. Reuben pointed out last week how easy it is for us to grumble, how we all like to do that. And the nation of Israel were always grumbling and complaining against God. And they worried that Moses had brought them all the way out to the desert, and now they were going to starve to death because they did not trust God, even though God provided all these things along the way. But the Lord promises Moses that he will give them physical food and water to sustain them. And in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from from heaven for you. And I like this, what you see in Numbers chapter 11, verse 9. It says, When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. It's incredible, isn't it? That God provided manna from heaven. But what's more incredible is that after a little while, the people started to complain about the manna because it didn't taste very good. So you're telling me God provides bread from heaven and it comes down each night. As the dew settles, the bread settles on the ground. You can pick it up and you have enough food for your family each day. So you're telling me God made manna fall from heaven and you're still not satisfied? I can assure you I would not have been as patient as God was with the people of Israel. I can remember times when my boys were little and we were going to head out for a nice family day and the complaining would start before we ever left the house. And you know what's coming. Inevitably, at some point in the day, I would just say, forget it, we're going home. Unfortunately, we can sometimes react to God in the same way, can't we? In the same way that Israel does. All we do is complain. But God provides for our needs, yet we still complain about it. But I'm just glad that God doesn't say to us, forget it. 
Jesus goes on to say over in verse 49, he says, Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they still died. The bread that spoils will eventually lead to death. Well, let's keep reading. We read verse 35 where Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But he goes on to say, but as I told you, you have seen me, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. All these, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus said. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. It is written in the prophets that they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has, who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who comes from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and whoever eats this bread will live forever. And this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. And For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. And this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate the manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And he said this while teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. There are, there are seven I am statements in the book of John. Well, actually eight. But there's this I am statement, I am the bread of life. Then he says in chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. Chapter 10, he says, I am the door to the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 10, he also says, I am the good shepherd. Then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 11. Chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Chapter 15, I am the true vine. But actually back in chapter 8, there's an eighth one where he says, I am who I am. That Jesus uses the same phrase that, that God told Moses to say to the Pharaoh. Tell him that I am sent you. Jesus says, I am. 
I am all those things. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am everything that you need, Jesus is saying. But what does it mean specifically that Jesus is the bread of life? Well, it's kind of awkward when you read just that section of Scripture. If you were going to take that section of Scripture and just take it out by itself and read about eating Jesus' flesh and drinking His blood, it seems a bit odd. It was controversial as soon as he said that, and rumors began to spread in that first century that those early Christians were cannibalistic, that they were actually eating flesh and blood. And at first reading, it would sound pretty weird if you didn't know anything about Jesus or the Scriptures. But when you put it in the context of the Lord's Supper, of what Jesus did on the cross, and you see the idea of communion there, you see this passage in a different light as well. Because Matthew 26, the great communion passage, says, While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So the first thing you have to understand, that Jesus' body and shed blood on the cross gives us everlasting life. It brings salvation to us. And so Jesus says, I am the bread of life, meaning that he brings us the sustaining power of life in this life and in the life to come, that Jesus can sustain us. Remember what Jesus said back in verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Work for the food that lasts forever, the bread that lasts forever. When Jesus uses that term, I am the bread of life, he's doing more than giving an analogy for communion. What he wants us to see is that he can sustain us for all of our lives. Rather than Jesus having no place and no purpose and no value in life, Jesus is saying he is the most important thing in your life. He is the bread of life. He is what sustains you. Rather than perfecting the qualities inherent in the heart, as Buddha said, Jesus says that all of life is not determined by fate. That no matter how hard you endeavor to do good, you can never be good enough on your own. You will never find enough good deep within your heart to be good enough. No matter how much you try, you can never rid yourself of the corruption of this world. Because this world is corrupted by the influencer Satan who is corrupting this world continually. The world's problems will not be resolved on their own by humans trying to resolve them. Something has to change deep within your heart because the heart is corrupted. The world is driven by selfishness, greed, envy, and power. And there's no government that's innocent. But none of us are innocent either. Salvation from the evils of this world is not found deep within yourself. The only hope we have is to fill our hearts and minds with the sustaining power that comes from Jesus Christ. Jesus is the bread of life that sustains us. So many people keep trying to fix themselves through their own strength. And it becomes this revolving door where they find the next self-help book or they find the next thing that's going to help them resolve their issues and their problems and all these things. 
And it's just this revolving door that you step through and you go back through it. When in reality, what you need to do is surrender yourself over to Jesus. Giving all your pain, all your sorrow, all your frustration over to Him. God's sustaining power takes over when you give yourself up to Him. God's peace that surpasses understanding comes into your life when you give yourself up to Him. And I know it's difficult to explain this to people who have never experienced the power of God in their lives. But in 2 Corinthians 4, Scripture tells us that Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. He's blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the glory of Christ. But Jesus is the bread of life. Remember what Jesus said, the work of God, the work that God requires of you is to believe. The work that God requires is not for you to fix everything that's wrong in your life. The work that God requires is not for you to fix all the relationships that are wrong in your life. The work of God that God requires is not to try and fix the world. The work of God and the work that God requires of you is to simply believe in the one that God sent, Jesus Christ. It's so simple that it's extremely hard for most people. For he is the bread of God who gives life-sustaining nourishment deep into your soul. If you're already a follower of Christ today, maybe today you need to return to the life-sustaining nourishment that only Jesus can give you in your life. Maybe you've been trying to sustain yourself lately and it's not going real well. Oh, we can sustain ourselves for a while but it's not going to give you what you need in the end. It's time for you to refocus your life on the work of God, which is to believe. That's it. To believe that Jesus is the bread of life. To believe that in the promises that only Jesus gives to us who believe. But you know, maybe some of you online or maybe some of you here today Maybe there are some of you who do not yet know or understand who Jesus is or what he has to offer. Maybe today is the day that you can begin to nourish your life with the bread of life. Maybe today is the day when you, when you begin the work of God, which is to believe in the one God sent, Jesus Christ. You know, there's a perception in the world that Christianity requires all of this work and that you need to fix yourself before you can come to church. You need to fix yourself before you can go to God. When in fact, God doesn't require anything from you except to believe. That's it. He doesn't require you to fix yourself. God simply asks you to believe. He will do the rest. He will provide the nourishment and the sustaining power that you need in your life, that you want, that you desire, that you're searching for in your life. So maybe today is a day when you need to say yes to Jesus Christ in your life and believe in Him.
wherever you are today, allow Jesus to be the bread that sustains your life day in and day out, week by week. Will you stand with me and pray? Father, I just stand here today humbled that you so willingly offered your life for us through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that each person here will do the work that you require and simply sit back, surrender ourselves, and believe in you, to trust in you, Lord. Lord, it's hard to believe in you when the world has so much pressure put upon us, when there's so many struggles in this world. It's hard to let go, Lord, to let go of the control in our lives. But Lord, I ask that you will bring your sustaining power into our lives, that you will give us that peace that is so beyond whatever might be going on in our life at the time. Lord, help us each day to live for you and to look to you before we need you. When life is going well, help us to look to you. Allow your spirit to to call us near to you, Lord. Lord, you've promised that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. Will you draw near to us today, Father? I thank you for all that you've given to us. I pray that you will move in the hearts and minds of the people that hear this message. Lord, I pray that your spirit will draw them near to you today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.